Hey everyone, we're heads down working on some really exciting stuff here at Primary Intelligence. So for this week's episode, we're reaching into our archive to bring back some great insights from guests of the past. We hope you enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. Sales and product has to be able to work together to ensure customer needs are met. But in most B2B organizations, a strong, consistent feedback loop between sales and product is at best weak and more often than not non-existent. The best case scenario is getting you know, product feedback directly from the voice of your buyer. The next best thing is from your sales reps. They are on the front line. They have unique insights into how your product is perceived by your buyers. Okay. What features and benefits they might like that might impact their purchase decision and how your product addresses potential customer future needs as well. Not just current state, but future state. But it's not a one-way street. Product leaders must communicate with sales and the product roadmap and product updates so that sales can speak with confidence. They need to be able to speak confidently about your product but to better differentiate uh, against the, com the competition, your competitors, and also demonstrate product value. Today's episode, we will explore the how. How can you create a successful feedback loop that empowers both sales and product? How can you align sales and product to better serve your buyers? Joining me on this expedition of the how, of the into the how, the how of things, is an incredible guest from the realm of product design, Mr. Sam Anderson, Director of Design Systems at Intuit. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, it's great to great to be here. All right, my friend, spill the beans. Let's hear about you. Uh, nobody nobody cares about me. We want to hear about you. Tell us about you a little bit. Sure. Um, I've been in product design now for over 15 years. I, I started my career at Cisco, which is a great company for sales. They have an incredibly strong sales force, and I learned that that company can sell anything. And uh, so I got my start in product design um, and, and learning about the link between product design and sales at Cisco. Uh, there I worked in Linksys, which is like, you know, the old purple routers and the small business products. Uh, spent some time doing doing consumer and small business products there, and then uh, spent a good chunk of time in WebEx doing video conferencing products. So uh, from, from Cisco, I transitioned to USAA, which is a totally different company, uh, financial services, insurance, banking, um, and you know learned a lot about how we enable design and product at scale. Uh, there I led design systems, and I'm sure we'll get into design systems a little bit more, but Design systems is basically how we scale product design across many teams and many products. Uh, so I delivered some design systems there at, at uh, USAA. And more recently, I've, I've come to Intuit, uh, which is a, a company serving small businesses and consumers. You probably know Intuit because of uh, QuickBooks or TurboTax, which are products that they've had for a very long time. Uh, more recently, we've, we've acquired uh, Credit Karma and MailChimp. And so we're really expanding the footprint of the types of products we can offer to small business owners and, and consumers. Okay, so you, you've touched on something that, that piqued my interest at the very beginning, right? Just in your job title, 
uh, we, we talked about your current role as you focused, you know, a little bit on, on design, but and more specifically design systems. Clarify for, for us, the listeners, for me, what's the difference between product management and product design? Sure, yeah. Uh, so product management and product design work really closely together um, in, in its best incantation, right? Like we're uh, two sides of the same coin. Product management, in my view, is um, really responsible for the business success of the product, right? So they're the ones looking at what can we put into the product? How do we craft this product so that it makes our company money and it's a successful product financially? Product design is more focused on how is our product successful for our users? Will our users love our product when they, when they pick it up? What is the minimum lovable product, right? We talk about minimum viable product on product management side, like what can we make money off of? On the de design side, we talk about the minimum lovable product. What's the product our customers will love and want and use and come to us over and over again for? So MVP versus MLP, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I love that, level, minimum lovable product. Okay, so uh, we're talking to the right guy here, right? So uh, about this disconnect, uh, how, do we, how do we do this? How do we close this gap? So let's get right into this. In, in many B2B organizations, why do you think this disconnect between sales and product occurs? Yeah, this is a, you know, one I saw a lot, particularly at, because I've always worked for very large companies. Um, and usually when you're at a large organization or you're, or you're at a growing organization, what you see happen is many layers start to build between the people building the product and the people selling the product or the actual customer themselves, right? So uh, as the company gets larger and the number of products you create, um, you know, become more, it's really hard as the designer or the engineer or the, even the product manager to be with the customers. And so you have a sales force who does that and they're all out there, but there are these layers, right? There's sales management or account managers or you know, executives uh, so that are sort of filtering the message that you're getting back from your, your buyer or your end user through many different layers. So it's, it sort of becomes like a game of telephone where at the end of the day, what makes it back to product management or the product designer, the person actually you know, drawing what the product is going to be, or the engineer creating the code that, you know, works the software is, you know, 10 lines of misdirection from where the feedback actually came into the system from. So uh, it's, it's layers. You know, it's, it, that's the big challenge is overcoming all of those layers of, and, and the game of telephone that we play. So I, I, total, I totally get that. And we see that so often when we do our own research and win-loss analysis, we see that layer manifest in the decision and how customers, buyers talk about the product. How do we overcome? I mean, maybe we, we couch this, but we're going to want to get into how we overcome those layers and what do we do about those layers so that they're, we're closer together, right? But we'll, we'll couch that for a minute. So, so let's talk about why. Um, why is it important? So we've talked about the layers. This is the thing that, that exists that causes the, the disconnect, but why is it actually important to have a strong feedback loop and an open line of communication between sales and product? Why is that even important? Yeah. I mean, we need to be delivering the value the customer needs, right? The value the user needs. And a lot of time, uh, particularly the more technical your product is, or uh, the more challenging it is maybe to build, or maybe you're innovating new technology. Sometimes you get into that sort of heads down view of we're going to make this the fastest or the best or the, the most advanced thing, but it doesn't actually address the customer problem or the user need that 
that uh, that is out there. And so, you know, being able to get that feedback real time from people using the product, people purchasing the product, people considering or prospective customers, um, getting that feedback loop back into the product team as quickly and as seamlessly as you possibly can actually will just accelerate your product success. Otherwise, you may spend, you know, days or weeks or even years uh, solving problems that aren't going to be valuable to your users. Okay, so uh, I think you just hit on something. Many organizations that we do work with are looking for direct customer feedback, direct buyer feedback around product, right? We're talking about product. Um, because they want to avoid the inside out approach of product development. Why is, is that, is that an issue when we're, when we're talking, I mean, why is that an issue? Why is that problematic to develop something inside out and not outside in, or maybe both? Yeah. I mean, maybe there are virtues to both. I, I think I've been mostly exposed to, and I've worked mostly in, um, uh, products where we were most concerned about outside in, like we wanted those products to be successful very quickly. Some innovation is, is a long tail, like it just takes a long time. And so sometimes you might have a Skunk Works project that takes a year or two before it ever sees the live day or before it ever goes in front of customers for feedback. But I think that's not really like what the 90 percentile of projects out there are or businesses out there. Um, you know, we live in an age of technology where it's so easy to, to combine and recombine technology to create something new and innovative and to address a specific need of a customer. You know, time to market is short. And if you're not getting out there and, you know, getting the eyeballs of your customers and getting that feedback, you're behind and your competitors are going to beat you. And so um, really, that's what everybody's looking to do nowadays, right? Shorten time to market, shorten time to something viable that you can get feedback from users and, and customers from and, and see if you can get to business success quicker rather than sort of spend years in the lab, you know, developing something that may or may not be successful. So um, I want to tie this back into what you said about the MVP versus the MLP. So there's, there is like that real tension between uh, the minimum viable and the minimum lovable, right? That, that the struggle is real, right? There, that is a real issue. Um, what is the risk of putting out something that um, we, we never bridge to the minimum lovable, we stay at that minimum viable? What, what's the risk to the organization, to your buyer, by not, not making that jump? Yeah, the way I've seen this materialize is, if you're familiar with like NPS, right, the one to 10 scale of how, you know, product satisfaction, the risk is all of your scores are sixes and sevens. You know, you don't really have promoters that are eights, nines, and tens on your scale. You, you have a sufficient product. You have a workable product, maybe. Uh, maybe it ticks the boxes of you know somebody's RFP that they've got to you know be responding to. But it's not something that when it lands in the organization and when people start using it, um, that they will sing the praises of <laughs> IT for. Right? Hey, we're so glad you brought this tool in house. This has really changed our world. This has changes our changes the way we do our work. Um, and and uh, there's been a trend now for the last decade, or maybe even more, of the consumerization of IT, where uh, you know if, if you don't have a product that people like to use, they'll just go outside. Like they'll circumvent your security, they'll circumvent whatever. Employees will just go do whatever they want to get the job done, and they'll you they'll download Dropbox and install it on their computer, or they'll you know put tools on they're not supposed to use that aren't the IT approved tools because they're seeking that minimum lovable. They're seeking a lovable experience, and they're seeking an experience that they want 
to have versus what IT has provided or approved or you know what what is the ticks all the boxes on the RFP. So. Okay, so there's there's risk actually in both directions, both externally in bringing value to the customer, but also there's internal risk that we introduce uh, because people will find life will find a way to to quote the great Jurassic Park, right? So sales will find a way to make it go. And if it's, if it's not happening, they'll, they'll find ways and oftentimes out of, out of scope, out of process and potentially increasing security risks and other things like that. That's yeah. And this is something that like, I think salespeople can maybe think about as you, as you collect feedback from customers, um, be careful to separate buyer feedback from user feedback, because a lot of times your buyer is not the user of the product. And so as you bring that feedback back into your organization, as you talk to product management, uh, help tease apart for them. Hey, this is what our buyer is saying. This is what's going to help us make the deal or make the sale versus this is what their users are saying. <laughs> and sometimes the buyer is the proxy for the user, but hopefully as a salesperson, you also have a direct line into their organization. Hopefully you're, you're like present and you're, uh, you, you hear directly from those users. Um, but again, we get back into the layers, right? Maybe you don't have that, that kind of access as a salesperson. And so again, you're like, you're talking to a proxy and you are a proxy back to the product. Uh, so anyway, you just have to be really careful about that. Separate the buyer feedback from the actual user feedback. Okay, dude. So you've just uncorked you you just uncorked the the thing here. That that's that's really hard. What you're talking about is actually a nuanced and very difficult position to be in from a product perspective. I'm assuming I'm not in product, so I'm very curious from your perspective. You know why is that differentiation between what's driving the 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 decision? in favor of, you know, our company, whatever our company is versus the user experience. Yeah. And, and whose job is it too, right? Uh, uh, to do, on, man. To do both just, jobs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sort of heaping everything on sales and say, Hey guys, if you could just figure all this out for us, our job would be way easy here on yeah, the yeah. Line side. I think in reality, it's a little bit more of a shared responsibility. So for sure the, the sales folks represent uh, or, or have the primary relationship with the buyers, with the people who you're making the deal with. And that's great. Um, what product design will do is we'll take the feedback that comes to us. And if, if it feels like buyer feedback, if it, if it doesn't resonate with what we're seeing, what we're doing in the background is we're doing user testing. We're actually going out to people who are our users or people who are like our prospective users, and we're testing our product with them as well. So if you have a good re user research function, um, that feedback is another channel that's coming into the product design team. And so a lot of times as a product design organization, you'll actually hear two mismatched or maybe even conflicting messages about your product. One is coming from the buyer channel. Maybe they're looking for and, and the buyer and sales channel, right? Maybe they're looking for more security and more uh, control. Whereas from the user channel, they're looking for more openness and more sharing capability and more you know, things that maybe the company is, has asked to be locked down. So, a lot of times in product design, it feels like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde scenario because you, you feel like your users are sort of tearing you into two pieces. And thankfully, we have product management as well to kind of help us sort through that madness. It's really their accountability at the end of the day to make some of those calls. But but we have to represent the user and the lovability of the product. And so so we want to be in that mix in those conversations too and, and try and uh, root for and cheerlead for the user. Okay, so uh, let, let's take the next steps, the how, right? We, we promised the, the listeners that we talk about the how. So let's talk about the actual communication that occurs between sales and product. Because you, to your point, you don't want to 
the, the communication lines to get muddied between who's saying what and how you need to ensure that the feedback that you're getting from sales is going to be relevant and unbiased and on point coming from buyers, coming from users, whatever. As someone in product, what are the most impactful things that sales could communicate with you um, to, to help close that loop and not muddy the waters? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the what is important, and but oftentimes we get the what without um, the how or the, the when or how urgent it is. Um, and so sometimes we'll get feedback that uh, sales says is, is like, is critical and we must, you know, action on it right now. And so we, we optimize for a low hanging fruit solution to a problem that, you know, will help close a deal. And, uh, but, but sometimes everything comes in as a priority one and not everything is a priority one. No, everything uh, is always a top priority, Sam. I don't know what you're talking about. It's always a top priority. You know, I, I have room, I think in my queue for like three top priorities at any given time. Uh, so I don't know. Um, yeah, every, you know, that, that, that happens frequently, right? Where um, everything comes in as, you know, as a must do right now, this minute. And I think what as a salesperson you need to understand is when you give that signal to product, what you're gonna get is um, if the time and the, the uh, capability is critical, you know, you'll get a solution that is the lowest hanging fruit solution we could find which maybe isn't going to be the best solution long-term. It may add technical debt to the product. It has a cost, I guess is what I'm saying, associated with it. The more you can tease apart as a salesperson, hey, this is important to our customer. They're willing to wait for this to get it right. Let's do some, uh, we want to bring you into the process with them. Let's go talk to them. Let's go talk to some of their users. That's been some of my favorite things to do as a product designer is actually go on sales calls with salespeople. Uh, to sit with them and actually represent the product in front of the customer to talk about the product vision talk about where we're going and what we we hear from our users um, in my experience that's actually strengthened the relationship for sales because the customer feels like i've got the inside track here i've got the I, you know i've got the year the product design people uh you know i can really make this product they're willing to make this product whatever i need for my business uh, which is you know, powerful from a sales perspective, because, you know, then they feel like they're you're the most special customer that you have as, as an account manager. So how, do, how does the salesperson, I mean, short of becoming a project manager and understanding the iron triangle and getting to, you know, scope and helping people understand, look, this is what's most important. Is it scope? Is it, is it speed? Is it, is it cost? You know, all of that stuff, you know, what can you say, you know, how, how can salespeople help arrive at that prioritization? How, how do they do that? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I, I think it comes down to some really basic uh, sort of tenets of, of business, which is, you know, make sure the ask is clear, follow up, uh, ensure that it got onto the roadmap, um, ensure that when it's on the roadmap, it doesn't slip off the roadmap. So this comes down, down to relationships. It comes down to making sure you have a strong relationship with your product management, you know, compadre, your, uh, your friend over there that you're giving these requirements to, uh, and making sure, and, and you can go further than that, go into the, sit, sit with the product design team and ask them like to see the solution before it gets built. Uh, let them know you're interested in seeing the solution before it gets built. Let them know you'd love to take them to the customer to demo the, the design of the product. Um, if, if you can be proactive on the sales side of, drawing product in earlier in the cycle, earlier in the conversation, 
product will feel more engaged with that problem. They'll feel more excited about solving it. You'll get a better solution and you'll look better in front of your customer. Um, if you just sort of, you know, proactively go after that relationship a little bit more, build that relationship with the product team and bring them along in the journey. And they'll bring you along in the journey as well for product development. So now we're cooking with gas. If we're talking to salespeople, they're relationship people, right? So that that's language they can understand, my friend. That's, that is, that's money. Thank you. All right, pal. So we've been layering it all on the sales people at this point. Let's, uh, let's reverse, let's back it up a little bit, right? Let's reverse it up a little Whoa, bit. Here, here comes the tough questions. Now. Yeah, right, right. As a product leader, let's, let's go to you now, right? Now it's for, all eyes on you, pal. As a product leader, what types of feedback should, you know, should product be giving to sales? Um, I think we're really bad at estimating how long things take and how hard things are. Uh, and so, uh, you know, just being like self-critical of all the product teams I've ever been on is, you know, we need to pad those estimates. We need to double, just be really honest and straightforward about what it really takes to, to um, achieve what's being asked for. Um, and I think we owe it, uh, you know, we, just like I was talking about the salespeople needing to sort of, you know, bring that relationship or establish and, and nurture the relationship with product. We need to establish and nurture the relationship with sales. Um, and for us, yeah, it goes both ways. And, and for us, it's, it's, uh, it's, it seems infinitely harder because everyone looks at the world from their point of view, right? And so we look and we see all these salespeople out there and we think, how in the world will we ever, like, we don't know what's going on out there. We don't know how many hundreds of conversations there are spun up. We don't know who's most important and who's least important. Is it deal size? Is it, is it recurring revenue possibilities, right? Like, that's all foreign language to us. Uh, so we need people, uh, and maybe this is sales leadership or, or product leadership to, to sort of get on the same page in terms of what are the most important relationships, what are the most important customers, prioritize sort of how we build those relationships and how we actually do the work. Um, but, uh, but we owe it to the, to the product team, sorry, we owe it to the sales teams um, to be more open with our roadmaps, to be more open with our product design specs, to ask more to go to your customers and with you, uh, to be with you uh, in those sessions and, uh, and, and talk more about our product more externally than maybe we do. So on the sales side, you talked about um, salespeople engaging early in the, in the cycle, engaging product early in the cycle and creating those relationships. What I'm hearing you say here is in sales, the converse is true as well. Creating and maintaining those relationships and understanding what might be valuable to sales could be helpful. What are your thoughts and feelings about product roadmap sharing? I mean, that, that can be, frankly, that can be a lightning rod issue, depending on the organization that you're, that you're talking to. We've seen organizations that are like, oh yeah, totally open. Everybody sees everything. And others are like, no way, man, not take, no, do not, because I don't trust the salespeople to, to not go and sell something that's not already built. What are your thoughts? Talk to me about the product roadmap. Yeah. Um, I think it should be shared. I'm, I always err on the side of sharing and maybe oversharing. Um, I think with the proper caveats in place, you know, you can share long range roadmaps. The long range in my mind is like a year out. Um, if it's within three months, um, you know, it's probably happening. Like it's probably gonna land. Uh, the three to six month view gets more fuzzy and you need to let the customers know like, this may change, right? Because we're agile, we're nimble, we're, we're responding to customer needs. And so 
anything beyond this quarter or next quarter, you know, we got to consider fair game that it might change. And I think if, if those if those uh, proper caveats are in place when we have that discussion about roadmap, I, you know, I think it should be shared. Um, and I think most product people agree with that. I, I don't think, I don't know, I, I guess I'm speaking for a lot of product people here, product designers. <laughs> a lot of product designers, you know, we love to see the roadmap. We, we want to know what we're working on six months down the line. Uh, and what's coming in from our customers. And so, uh, you know, product management I get has a lot of sensitivity around that. Um, there may be competitive reasons why you don't want to share some of that too openly. Um, so there's always hashtag reasons about those kinds of things. But yeah, I think I think you're on the side of sharing and just make sure the right caveats are in place. So I, I think I share the same opinion. Uh, the organizations that, I, that we work with that tend to be more open tend to have um, sales confidence that's higher. And when sales confidence is higher, typically sales go better. So I, I love that, that, that perspective. So, so help me understand, let's connect this all the way through. How can product really help in the sales process? We've talked about the lines of communication, what needs to be communicated. How can product, product design help um, in the sales process? Yeah, one of my favorite experiences as a, as a product design leader was being invited in to talk to a, one of our Fortune 10 customers who was considering making a sizable multi-year investment with us. And, um, and the, the account team said, you know, we want to bring you into the inner sanctum, right? They brought it, they brought them into the nicest office that we had, right? We had a great food on display. Of course, all the sales trappings you typically have, but they're, but, but they were very purposeful about, we're going to bring in these product managers and these product designers. We're going to talk about the product vision. We're going to talk about where the product is going and we're going to help you, the customer feel like, um, that you're our top customer. And um, that was such a low effort um, activity for such a high return. I don't know why we don't do that all the time. Uh, I don't know why my calendar is not 50% full of those discussions. <laughs> um, and maybe that's too much. Like, I, I don't want to ignore my day job. But if I can be that useful to salespeople, uh, particularly in high profile deals or important uh, clients, you know, I, as a product person, sign me up. I'm, I'm there all day long because at the end of the day, like we, we are one company to the customer. Um, you know, there's nothing worse than being a customer and watching the company sort of internally pointing fingers at each other, or, you know, like we have to show up as a united front. They don't really care if it's product management, product design sales. They just want to see us as one company coming to them with a solution to their problem all in a united way. You, you know, this, this might be a total off topic, but you, you just, you, you struck a chord here with me. Not, not my day job. I, at the end of the day, uh, it takes a village, man. It, it takes a village. The, like you said, the united front of the organization, especially in large enterprise complex sales. It's not just a salesperson out there doing their thing. It is the organization. Uh, in our research, we, we measure how um, you know X organ our, our customers, our clients stack up against the competition around four categorical areas: pricing, solution or product, sales experience, motion, and um, you know company perception, and obviously uh, value is layered in there as well with pricing. So uh, invariably, the organizations that have complex sales um, that are that have to have table stake solution feature functionality. Um, the organizations that, that get down-selected in the RFP or up-selected, depending on what language you use, 
um, the ones that make it to the next round in the RFP process, if they're using an RFP, are the ones that have the check boxes, table stakes. So everybody already has a belief that your solution, your product can do or deliver at least the table stakes issues. The differentiator that we see most often, Sam, and I want your, your thoughts on this, uh, are the, the organizations that are able to show the and one, right? Mm -hmm. It's, okay, I got the table stakes. How does this help me in my future state, right? How does this help me in the future state? And without a united front, we're never going to get to that and one place appropriately. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh immediately I go to like, and what is the end one? Like, what is your differentiator as a company, right? Like that you bring, and you've got to have that in your story, in your product strategy, in your, uh, in your back pocket to say, and a lot, for a lot of folks, uh, for a lot of companies these days, it's, it's an artificial intelligence machine learning strategy, or maybe it's a, a metaverse strategy. I don't know, right? Maybe it's a, a crypto strategy. It's something that where you're thinking about the future and you can also sell to that client or, or, you know, express to that client confidence that you know where the where the puck is going and you're skating to where the puck is going to be. Oh, uh, hockey yeah. reference. Hold on. You're you're in San Antonio, but you're dropping hockey references here. This yeah, is impressive. Yeah, yeah. Not a hockey player myself, but there you go. Eat <laughs> open ice. All right. Yeah, I think that's the, you know, in, in sales deals or, or sales um, uh, people that I've worked with closely, that seems to be like a X factor for 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 them being successful is their ability to um, express the vision of the company, express the vision of the product, and not just sell what's what's on the truck today, but what's coming off the truck six months to a year from now. Beautiful. That's beautiful, my friend. Thank you, Sam. All right. So um, let, let's get back to this space, those layers. Okay. At the very beginning of the show, we talked about these layers, right? The layers. So, you know, these layers between, hey, look, this is what I care about. Uh, this is what's going to help me win my business and product. How do you address those layers? How do you remove or reduce the space, the friction, the distance that those layers create between product and sales? Yeah, I think you, depending on the company size, I think there's a lot of different things you can do. Um, I believe a lot in routine, like we're creatures of habit. And so um, we need to create ways that we connect with each other. Maybe that's through quarterly all hands, right? And just ensuring that in the sales all hands, we have a product design representative taking the stage for a few minutes. And in the product design or product, uh, the product all hands, we have sales represented. You know, I can't tell you how many years of these types of meetings I've been in where they're completely separate worlds that never talk to each other and never right. don't even know what, what each other are worried about. And I admit sometimes I've just dropped into sales meetings just to hear like, the heck's going on over here? Like, what are you guys thinking about? You know, what's your problems you're, that you're facing? Uh, so we can have empathy and work work together. So I think finding uh, an into it, we call them op mechs, like operational mechanics, like uh, things that happen. Uh, and if those don't exist, uh, let's create some. Um, and then there are always people, going back to the relationships, uh, find your super connectors in the organization. So uh, there's usually someone in sales that I will try to find as a product design leader who I feel like is, you know, I can be a super connector within design because I know a bunch of other design leaders and I, I can connect, you know, person A to person D over there. And I try to connect with a sales leader that I feel like is also a super connector that we can, uh, that we can work through. And so finding kind of those supercharged connections between organizations and riding on, on the virtues of those relationships is, can take you a long way as well. 
So you know, you know what's funny? It doesn't matter who we talk with and who I talk with inside of the organization. I don't care if it's product, if it's procurement, if it's sales, if it's uh, you know management. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, what you just talked about, my friend, is is the core, and it's how we human beings work together. And if we can figure out a way to collaborate appropriately, then we will be able to solve. The, the belief is that we'll be able to solve almost any solve for X, almost whatever X is. The biggest friction isn't our product; it's us. It's our relationships, our ability to communicate as human beings. That that is, man, that's the the ten thousand dollar question. You know, how do how do we do that? Gosh, we we need a couch. We need uh, you know all kinds of other things to help us lay down and kind of go through psychoanalysis to figure out what what's the issue. You know, how do we solve for that? That's that's a big that's another discussion. But and I'll I'll add one more, and that's and that's data. Um, we don't share the data like we don't talk to each like and i'm talking oh, about talking to each other but preach brother preach like you know you're you and your role are generating a bunch of data as in design i'm generating user research i'm generating reports and 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 uh you know sort of things we're understanding from users you're generating that in sales as well and uh to not have our dashboards talking to each other or access to each other's dashboards or each other's research or we're just creating, you know, uh, silos of information that you know could be so valuable if we could just share it with each other. Ah, man, thank you for for layering that in. Okay, uh, winding our conversation. I'm very curious about this idea of product design. In your role, what's one of the? And I know I'm I'm going to ask it like the John Wick of questions, the impossible question, right? Um, but let me ask it anyway. What's the single biggest challenge that you bump into in product design as it pertains to, you know, with that relationship with sales, those layers that we talked about specific to product design? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I'll say one that isn't specific to sales, and then maybe I can try and pivot into, into more of a sales Fair. angle. Yeah, I like it. I think the biggest challenge we face generally is prioritization, because you generally have a fixed set of resources, a fixed time to work and achieve a certain thing. And it really is all about what are you gonna to decide to do? Um, and so I think pivoting that into what we talked about earlier about sales uh, is understanding how to influence how we spend our time. <laughs> uh, you know, as salespeople, you can have a very direct and, and meaningful influence over the direction and the prioritization of product. And so, wield that sword uh with with great wisdom um because you know it could help you in the deals that you're making it could help the entire sales organization it could help the whole company um uh, because you know we we pay attention most companies are very uh customer centric customer oriented sales orient uh, oriented and so um product as much as product sometimes likes to think they own their own destiny and do they're doing their own thing at the end of the day we're very reliant on on sales success and so if we're not achieving that sales success we will be very quickly pivoted back to to talking to you all and figuring out uh, where we're where we're missing um and so yeah i think prioritization is the biggest challenge and then uh as we fall off the rails of that as we as we make the wrong choices as we fail fast as we say fail fast um, yes as, as we fail at that like we need to come back to you you need to come back to us and uh keep us on the right track, keep us back on the rails. Okay. So in this vein of this is the single biggest, the prioritization issue, what's that one final piece of advice that you would give to our listeners about 
uh, creating that successful feedback loop um, to, to win, to fail fast and win better? I think it's to have empathy with each other, start from a position of understanding of what that person needs or cares about from their, from their angle. Uh, I think a lot of time, you know, we, we're sort of throw dependencies on each other between sales and, and product thinking like, you know, Hey, I'm driving the bus here. Right. Uh, I think if we take a few minutes and just have some empathy for each other and for the problems that we're facing and trying to solve, whether on the product side, that's, you know, a lack of resources or lack of time to do all these things that are being asked, right. Or on the sales side, if it's, uh, you know, the urgency around closing deals or, uh, landing a certain customer or, you know, whatever that pressure is, uh, I think we should need to take a little bit more time for, uh, for empathy with each other. And, uh, and that will in turn strengthen the relationships, uh, yet again. So that idea, man, that's, that's wonderful advice. And I would echo that. And that's probably not just between product. That is probably a universal truth. If we could just have a little more empathy with each other, a little more understanding and then tact to understand the appropriate amount of space and prioritization between needs and ability to produce those needs, you know, or solve for X, I think we would make strides toward uh, bringing that value that you talked about to our customers faster. That is wonderful insight, my friend. Sam, it has been wonderful, just a fun conversation. I could sit here and, you know, uh, bend your ear all day long, but I won't. I know you're busy and I'll let you get back to work. It has been great having you on the show today to share your expertise and your, and your perspectives with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And listeners, don't forget to subscribe so that you never, ever miss an episode, never. Um, and, and for more episodes, plus resources from both Primary Intelligence and our friends at Intuit, please head to www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And we will see you next time.